Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop to the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald and my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? Will, it's it's going well. Um, the Kings have an all-star now, I guess, right? A <laughs> former two-time all-star. The games have been watchable again. I'm sure we'll talk about it today on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. He's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana basketball hall of famer, and the true pride of French Lick himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. Well, it's great to be with you guys again and to get to talk a little basketball. And yeah, I've sort of enjoyed watching the Kings play, which is a, kind of been a, a rarity of late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope, hope it continues. Absolutely. Maybe a few more wins. Yeah. So last episode that we had was a reactionary episode. It was a uh, right just about a, just after the uh, Sabonis trade. It was a Super Bowl Sunday. We were uh, we were we were living off of a two and zero record with uh, with the Mata Sabonis, and uh, we uh, now we get to live in the reality of the world, and that's a uh, that the Kings aren't quite a uh, playoff ready yet. And uh, so I wanted to uh, start off and get your uh, your uh, feelings now after we've had them for a couple of weeks, Jerry Tony. Have your minds changed in either direction in the last two weeks, having get, gotten to see the full uh, experience of these trades, or, uh, or are things looking about the same for you? Well, I, I think they're looking different, uh, not, not a lot better, uh, to be honest, but yeah. different, and, and which was is important in of itself. You know, I mean, I, I'm like probably like all just about all the fans. You know, you, you nobody wanted to see Tyrese Halliburton go. But uh, boy, it's sure not. It's sure hard not to like Sabonis. I mean, the guy, the guy is a ball player, and and really, I don't know how you get somebody like that without giving up a lot. And so, and he's made, in my mind, he's made the team fun to watch again. I mean, he more than anybody, uh, for sure. Yeah, I can't say too much has changed since the last time we spoke as far as, you know, my opinion on the trade goes. I still think it's it was a risky move by Monty McNair and the Kings for all the for all, for all the reasons slash numbers Tyrese Halliburton is putting up for the Pacers. But I kind of look at it like this. I mean, Sabonis came to a Sacramento Kings team that had really uh, no skill in the front court. He's going to put up ridiculous numbers for this very bad team. Tyrese Halliburton goes to a Pacers team where he's going to put up ridiculous numbers for a very bad team. So it's, it's hard to tell who, who won this one. It's going to take a few years for it to sort of fizzle out, but it's going to come down to, I guess, which team starts winning first. Cause right now what you have is two really good players who are putting up some video game numbers on some very bad basketball teams. And I think that's a great way of putting it. So one of my favorite parts about uh, working at a site like the Kings Herald is we have so many different opinions on things. And this trade was especially um, fun because it brought out a full spectrum of emotions from writers and commenters. Uh, I myself, I'm obviously a core, I'm a, I'm a tank guy to my core. And to be honest, considering the risk that the Kings took and the narrowness of the needle, they now have to thread. Uh, I'm pretty pleased with the return that they got for the uh, wholesale murder of all of my opinions on how the Kings should have uh, <laughs> approached the next 20 uh, something games. And uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to wait for the next shoe to drop uh, before raining down a bunch of, I told you so's on who we should have drafted and how high a pick we should have had. 
But we have friends on the podcast like uh, uh, Richard Ivanowski that were incredibly displeased with the trade right off the bat. And he hasn't wavered on that, which is which is good. I'm glad that he's we've got somebody on the other side of the coin there to do that. Uh, Rich is of the opinion that Sabonis isn't a franchise altering player and that the Kings not only showed impatience, but they showed stupidity in trading Halliburton, who he felt was the perfect piece to build a sustainable and successful future around. Jerry, uh, this is one of my favorite parts about hosting this podcast now is that I've got a former general manager here that I can ask questions uh, to. So can you can you speak to the risk that McNair has taken in swapping Sabonis for Halliburton and whether or not you feel like this was a, a necessary change, like this was the right time to do it? Well, I, I definitely think a change had to be made. Uh, obviously, the, just from a fan base that was dwindling before our eyes and the apathy that we were seeing, it's very dangerous. Uh, circumstances going forward and really has nothing to do with uh, Halliburton because he's terrific young player. We, we all know that. Uh, uh, I would just say this, uh, uh, you're not going to get a talent without trading a talent. And that's what they did. Uh, now you can, uh, you can take it however you want. Uh, but, but I'll say this, the odds of the Kings getting a, a quality guard in the draft are far better than getting a quality big man in the draft uh, where they're likely to pick. So at some point you, you have to address, uh, you have to get a more talented big player, which they did. And uh, I, I think it's a good trade. I, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's like Tony pointed out until uh, somebody wins, uh, uh, you know, you can have it, whatever opinion as strongly as you want. But uh, uh, you know, like I said before, and I mean, and, and, you know, and, and Larry Bird doesn't know everything either, but he felt that, he, that Sabonis is exactly the guy you should build, try to build a team around, or at least the Indiana Pacers should, because he said, uh, you know, you got Brogdon, you got Duarte, you have guards that right. are, are, you know, and maybe in their own way as good uh, or slightly whatever, uh, but you didn't, you, you're not going to get another Sabonis anytime soon. And so, uh, and I, I agree with that. I think he's a easier piece to build around. Is he, if he's your best player uh, that you ever have, you know, you're not going to win a championship if he's the best player, but you're not going to win a championship if Halliburton's your best player either. I can guarantee you that right now <laughs> sure. in both, uh, but with, in both cases. Uh, so, uh, you know, you've got to surround them you know, with pieces that, that, uh, and probably find a guy on each team that is, you know, a better player than they are. And, uh, you know, if, and can both guys, uh, are they capable of being number two guys? Absolutely. You know, they're mentally capable of it. They're unselfish. They're good people. Uh, so risk wise, I see none. Sure. I see none. Tony, how much do you think this is um, the Kings being confident in Davion Mitchell, their, their pick this last year in the draft? Maybe a little bit because he, he was starting to come on towards the deadline and play really well. But I, I feel like this is even beyond that. It's, it's bigger than that for Monty McNair. It's bigger than that for the Kings. I mean, Tyrese Halliburton, as we learned, was their most valuable piece. And I feel like if, you're, if you've gotten yourself to the position where you're willing to trade that, then sort of these other factors are sort of minor in the grand scheme of things like this was their biggest chip. Clearly he had more value than De'Aaron Fox, or I think the Kings would have traded De'Aaron Fox for DeMontis Sabonis, but the Pacers wanted Halliburton and I don't blame them for wanting Halliburton. So to me, it was just Monty McNair 
making his move because his his seat was getting pretty warm. The Kings had done nothing in his entire tenure, and this was the best move that he could make with a win now direction. You know, I have 95% of, of the concerns that Richard does about this trade and, and all the bad things that could happen. The the 5% that I, I guess I give the Kings credit, credit for or the part that I understand the most is that if this is a, a team that must win now, and we've heard that, win now, the fan base is dwindling, you know, all, for all the reasons why the Kings need to win now, they need to win now. This, for a win now move, is about as good as you could expect. You didn't give away any draft picks. You're still sort of in the tanking range. So even Will, like they're maybe tanking by accident now, but they are sort of tanking. I mean, they're still going down in the standing. So they're they're kind of doing it all. They're threading the needle in a very, it's a very narrow like way that this works to me, but it's not impossible. So it's a direction. It's not the one that I would have picked or the one that Richard would have picked, but it is a direction and it could work. Yeah, I think there's always this uh, this line between fantasy and and reality, and it's it's one of those things that's hard for me to hear because I was somebody who went, no, it, you you don't need five years, you don't need the process, and and I felt like in my mind as as a guy who was very pro, you know, drop down as far as you can for a year and climb back up. Yeah, there's no there's no certain thing in the draft, but I, f- I felt like you could very easily with a new coach, with a couple of new young players, flip this thing quick. And, and with a top three draft pick, with a top four draft pick, and, and a supreme talented one at that one, you could get guys back in the seats. You could get butts back in the seats, you know, watching games of a young team, and you, you wouldn't be that far away from, from where the Kings are right now with a, with a two-time All-Star from the East. But you do hear that. And, Jerry, I'm, I'm curious as to your opinion on this, that, that it just couldn't work in Sacramento, that they're just – for whatever reason, uh, whether that's ownership uh, imbued or whether the league has told them or, or whether it's just the financial reality of the situation, a tank was just never a viable option in, in, in Sacramento. And so, Jerry, as a former GM, how much would looking out into the stands and seeing 9,000 people, 12,000 people a night instead of your packed crowds, how much would that impact the job that you do and, and the players that you trade for? Well, I think it has to impact it you, to act like it's not a factor. And I'd say uh, take it a step further. But look at in, uh, Indiana's uh, crowd. The two worst uh, crowds in the NBA attendance-wise on average are Sacramento and Indiana. And so both and both teams are basically going through the same thing. I mean, differently. I mean, Indiana's been a highly successful franchise uh, basically for almost all their time. But but uh, they they. You know, I can tell you they can tolerate uh, not being in the playoffs a lot less than the Kings fans, you know. <laughs> yeah. they, and so the, the idea of a so-called process is not a possibility there. And, and, and certainly with the Kings, I think it's very different uh, in the year 16 than it was in year one, two or three or four. Uh, uh, and so I, I think you have to, to, to account for that. And I think the, the fact that so, uh, you know, you, you've seen teams turn it around much quicker to, you know, <laughs> uh, that, that clearly you don't uh, you don't have to do it that way. There's quicker ways to do it. And certainly the Kings franchise themselves years ago in 98, 99 proved that themselves uh, that if, in fact, you have cap room and you have a few things you can do, that sort of thing, which uh, I, I really don't see the Kings as having that kind of a possibilities to be truthful that's where it's tough but uh yeah to 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 say 
to tell people paying thousands of dollars uh, for tickets that, hey, we're, you know, just wait five more years. We'll, we'll be good then. <laughs> I, I, I think we've fallen on very deaf ears at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're right in that this that that 16 year losing streak. I, I try to call for forget the losing streak. You know, you know, just just make it a part of your culture that yeah, we're going to prove that the 16 year losing streak is worth something. I think the financial impact of that and the reality of the situation is much much different than than the idea that people might still be willing to come back with a young new team that they know might take three or four years to be good. So we've, uh, we've seen six games in the Sabonis era, a win against uh, Minnesota, a win against the Wizards, uh, then four straight losses, uh, a bad one to the Nets, uh, a decent loss to the Bulls, and two against the Nuggets. Uh, I want to know your guys' opinions on what has stood out to you in these last six games, not just the two wins, but the four losses as well. I'll let Tony go first. I'm, I'm dominating here too much. So. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry. You're the, you're the uh, leading scorer here. Um, you're the De'Aaron Fox of our, of our little group here. That's, that's what I'll talk about. I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, it reminds me of what people used to say that I hated, which was that um, the De'Aaron Fox acquisition was part of the DeMarcus Cousins trade. That's an old like classic Kings Twitter take that I, I despised because that was unrelated. It's almost like that here. You don't trade Tyrese Halliburton to make De'Aaron Fox start playing better basketball again, but getting Halliburton out of the mix here, or at least putting the ball back into Aaron Fox's hands full-time in the backcourt. Now it's really him and Sabonis dominating every possession. And Fox has played better in these last six games with Sabonis than he's played maybe in any stretch of his entire career. I pulled his numbers and it's a small sample size, of course, but um, De'Aaron Fox, since the trade, 26.3 points, 5.5 assists, four rebounds. He's shooting 50% from the field which is incredible for a guard. Uh, his three-point percentage is up to 30%, which is not good, but it's better than he was before. And he's even hitting his free throws at an 87% rate, which he's never done before. And I don't necessarily expect that to, to stay. But uh, that's been the big takeaway. You know, Sabonis came into a, to a front court where all the, position, all the possessions and uh, usage was his to take. There wasn't a lot of competition for, for minutes or touches in the post there. Um, so his numbers aren't surprising to me at all, but seeing De'Aaron Fox go from what was a pretty disappointing year. If I look at it, you know, he's, he's a max contract guy should be the leader of the team. Uh, he's been inefficient almost all year to exploding in this post trade deadline era with Sabonis has been very encouraging to see if you're, uh, if you're Monty McNair, if you're a Kings fan, or if you're also De'Aaron Fox, I guess too. Yeah, I think that's been really interesting. Uh, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, these things don't happen in a vacuum and, and Fox, you know, you lose a terrific young player in Halliburton and, that, but it's also true. Fox is playing better now than he did with Halliburton. Mm -hmm. So there's a gain there that uh, you hadn't really any right to expect. It's also true that there's a loss uh, with Sabonis. It's not anything his fault, but Rashawn Holmes has been basically uh, a ghost yeah. of a player. And uh, yeah. so, you know, uh, certainly he's not the caliber player of Sabonis, but, but he's been a very good player uh, for a while now. I think uh, he's, uh, you know, we do, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out, but I think there's not just slippage in play, but slippage in attitude and, and uh, maybe a little, little pouting, uh, which uh, probably, uh, you know, just as an old coach or old person in general, I mean, there probably needs to be a come to Jesus talk with uh, Rashawn pretty soon yeah. uh, about the realities sure. of, of his situation. And, and, you know, it's a, if you're not happy, Hey, 
get happy. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you're being paid to be a professional basketball player. But so, so I mean, it, it is one of those things. That, yeah, there's, there's always a, you know, it's not all positives or all negatives uh, either way. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's no different from Indiana. It's like, uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon has to adjust a little bit. Now he's back and he's real good. And so he's going to have to adjust to Halliburton. And Halliburton, now that Brogdon's back, is going to have to adjust to Brogdon a little bit. We'll see how that plays out as well. So, uh, you know, that that's some of the intriguing things. But uh, Fox has been I think he's been really good. I do. Uh, I, I mean, you know, just a way better player than he was before. Uh, even trying harder on defense. Uh, I say that, I mean, because I, th I think the effort's been better. Doesn't mean he doesn't break down and and, and uh, have some bad stretches, but, but the effort has been better. It's just still not where it needs to be, but it has been better. So I'll give Fox a uh, that I think a lot of it's due to he know, he sees his importance uh, fitting in with Sabonis, and you're seeing him actually uh, actually move without the ball occasionally, which is I never thought I'd see. <laughs> and uh, now on the negative, I, I still think down the crunch time of games, uh, he reverts to wanting to to play one on one too much, mm -hmm. and and there again, I think that's where you know maybe Alvin needs to remind him uh, that that's the big fella can help you get easier shots. Uh, let him do it. And so, Absolutely. and then uh, I guess the final, final take I'd have is that overall uh, this team has some, uh, a couple of guys that probably are a little better defenders than they've had. And they're still bad on defense. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I'm not sure how I, how that works, you know, get two or three more good, <laughs> fairly good defenders, but not really improved defensively. So, so I'm hoping the next 21 games, you know, some, some of that crystallized a little bit to see just which guys, if there are guys that are, will be good defenders that you might want to keep. I'm curious what you guys think of this only because you've, you've mentioned it a little bit here, but do you feel like uh, uh, Jerry and Tony that the play of Fox since the depart, since the departure of Halberton was more, the addition of Sabonis or the subtraction of Halliburton and I guess Buddy for that matter plays a factor in that too or is this something that six of one half a dozen of another I think it's a little bit all that I don't think there's any doubt that uh you know I think that uh, it did seem Fox had a tough time adjusting to uh, Halliburton's growing role yep uh you know he you know you could almost see it without seeing it mm -hmm. uh so I think that was very true and I think you know Buddy was Buddy he was a uh, lost cause here he, he's starting to, he's playing pretty well in Indiana which I'm not surprised I mean but he's a good player mm -hmm. he just I think with all the trade stuff and and his role off the bench he didn't like all that sort of thing affected him to where he really uh wasn't the player he should have been that and that was on him to I mean all not all of it but a lot of it was so so that's part of it uh and Sabonis has no question been a big help uh, besides the passing, he sets good screens. You know, that's one of the most underrated skills in this league because uh, so many guys don't. And uh, he does it consistently because, and, and I, my feeling on that is, is besides setting good screens, he's a highly skilled uh, player, but he's legitimately tough. Yeah. I mean, legitimately. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of guys that aren't. That really, I mean, really, I think as sometimes as fans, we don't realize that there's guys that don't don't really want to set one, 
I think you could probably almost run Bagley off the floor trying to get him to, <laughs> to, to pin him down to make him set one. But, uh, but you know, and I've seen that over here, but this guy, this guy will, uh, he'll, you know, he'll ring your bell for you a little bit. You know, it's funny that you mentioned him being tough because in his first game with the Kings, he got that, that uh, semi-annual Rashawn Holmes bash to the eye and showed up with a shiner the next game and a nice little puffy cheek to show for his first game as a King. And he, he stayed in that game. He didn't seem to mind it w- one bit. Not, not that Rashawn didn't, or that those are completely two different things, but it was one of those things I went, Oh, okay. he's just going to play through it. He's not going back to the locker room. They're not going to check his vision or anything else like that. He just took the brunt of a hit and went, I'm just going to keep playing. So uh, th- That toughness is something that stood out to me a little bit. And I think it's slowly starting to rub off in the Kings. And Tony, I'm curious as to your opinion on, on this before I get into anything like that. Sabonis is, I mean, we knew Sabonis was a tough player. We knew that's something the Kings needed. What's he averaging? Uh, 12 and a half rebounds since he got to Sacramento too. I think I wrote down 12.7 rebounds. And you, you see every single one of those. You know, the Kings can control the glass now in a way that they just couldn't before. I think what they're struggling with is something they actually struggled with when Rashawn Holmes was the starting center with this team is that they have not figured out the best player to put next to these centers. Um, whether it's Harrison yeah. Barnes at the four or the three, you know, for as good as he gets some advantages on offense as a four defensively, it's just tough because neither Sabonis or Barnes are going to, you know, be a stopper at the rim. So just like they had trouble with Holmes, I think, and I think that's the root of a lot of their defensive issues is figuring out who's going to play, you know, two, three, four uh, around the guards and the big man, because there's, there's just some, some awkward matchups there, no matter who the Kings put out there that's on their roster currently. And that's, you know, so, so Sabonis' toughness doesn't surprise me at all, but they do still have some of the same problems finding the right player to play next to that center. Yeah. yeah I do think, you know, I think that's a great point too. And I think it kind of honestly crystallizes something. I, I think one of the things that helps is when you know what you need. Yeah. When you can see what you need, that doesn't mean yeah. you can always solve it, but uh, it's one thing to be able to identify it. In my mind, that's really the, the clear number one thing uh, going forward is you need a four that can can probably, you know, protect the basket a little bit, be a longer, more athletic guy and make shots. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, that guy may very well not be on this roster. Uh, I'd have to say at this point uh, to uh, to kind of kid yourself into thinking that he is is probably foolish. So you need to get that guy. If uh, you know if if John Collins or Bobby Portis were to want to come over and play a little Kings basketball, I think things would look very different start of next year. That's just that's just my my uninformed assessment of it. Uh, but but it's a clear need, and uh, so that but that's always the case whether you're trying to build a team you know, with a major piece like Sabonis, or if you're, you're you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, make uh, Halliburton your major piece in Indiana, you want a big time shooter on the wing with him mm-hmm. that uh, doesn't need the ball a lot, but it's great off the ball kind of thing. And so, you know, it's, it's not something they don't know, or we don't know. This was a whole segment that I wanted to go into. So we're just going to roll right into it right now. So where do the Kings build from here in terms of player wise? We, we've talked about a shot hitting shot blocking four. But what other needs do you think that they need from these first six games in the Sabonis era? Where do you see that they might next year need to address uh, prior to the season starting? Well, you know, I, I think they need a, a, a guard. Uh, and, and I say this, I, I think with Sabonis, things have changed. You don't necessarily have to have a point guard. Yeah. I think you have to have a guard. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. You know, you can almost go to the uh, Jokic comparison or go back, you know, 100 years ago with, a, 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 you know, the best kind of guard line that Danny Ainge, Dennis Johnson, where they ran the offense through Bird at the small forward. You know, the Denver Nuggets run it through, through a high post center. Uh, uh, the Kings can do the same thing. And I think we saw that uh, Sabonis more than held his own. Mm -hmm. with uh with Jokic who's mm -hmm. a who's a great player uh but so so and on that basis I mean you know Fox is not really a true playmaker but he can handle and make some plays if you had another preferably bigger guard that could do the same thing I call them ones and a half you know kind of the sure. uh, the ideal thing Jamal Murray when he's healthy he's not a point guard He's a one and a half, really. Mm -hmm. and, and somebody, you know, not that you get Jamal Murray, but I mean, if they could get somebody of that caliber, you know, that, that could be available, uh, you know, that maybe has a contract that a team can't meet, uh, it might, uh, you know, might work. Or, you know, that's that, that's probably an area where you might be able to draft that player. You know, you know quite honestly, I'd say there's a, you know, seven, eight, nine, wherever you are, I'd say you, you, you probably could be in a pretty good position to draft that player more likely than the big player, but that's just a thought. Yeah. Jerry hit it with his first answer. And I'm going to be saying this name for the next like six months, nonstop, but Bobby Portis would be an awesome fit. He, I like John Collins too, but Portis has the luxury of being an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. So the Kings can either open up some space or sign and trade something to get a guy like Bobby Portis in here. Um, just a tough four who can really shoot it and, and play some defense and just continuing to, to kind of switch from this finesse sort of softer Kings team that we've seen for a while now to a more tougher, big, we're going to fight you team. And Bobby Portis certainly brings a lot of that. So I think, you know, adding more toughness and size on the wing is something they def definitely need. And then um, they could probably use another guard. I Watching this team as it is currently, and it's going to sound weird with the numbers Sabonis and Fox are putting up, but it, they almost need like one more guy that can score. And maybe the, in the starting lineup, and maybe that's because uh, Mo Harkless and Holiday have been so bad offensively, or, or you know, they've, they've shot all, okay, but they're so limited offensively that it does sort of highlight that when a guy like Sabonis or Fox is off the floor or if they're struggling, it's almost too many players in the starting lineup with just no hope to, to create a shot for themselves, which kind of brings me to um, another interesting thought that I had looking at this roster again today is that Terrence Davis is a player who's out with injury, but I wonder if he could be a long-term cheaper fit next to Fox. And I say that because I looked at his numbers as a starter and he's a pretty, um, I don't know if he's as tough as the toughest players in the league, but he plays some defense. He'll get into you a little bit and he'll, he'll uh, rough it up out there. And his, his run as a starter this year is pretty solid. 11 games, 17 points, five rebounds, 1.7 assists, 49% from the field, 37% from three. Um, who knows if he would do that over a longer range, but I just, I looked at Terrence Davis and his small contract for next year. And that could be an area where the Kings sort of luck out in having him play above what he's getting paid for in using whatever money you would allocate to that position somewhere else in the offseason or in free agency? I'll tell you one thing. Uh, Terrence Davis would be a lot better uh, with Sabonis. I think so, too. Because uh, he, he, he oh, will yeah. move without the ball. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not going to beat, beat the air out of the damn thing like, uh, you know, Buddy had a tendency to do. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. I, I think it's a possibility. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go into the year count on it. 
Yeah. You know, uh, but but it's also the reason I guess I'd probably be a little bit outspoken here. But these last 21 games, honestly, I I would see if Larry Lamb or whatever Lamb, just what I, 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 Jeremy Lamb, excuse me. I've watched him. I mean, he's had moments where he's been really good over Mm -hmm. his career and he is, you know, he can shoot the ball and he can get shots. Uh, I just think he's a better you know, Justin Holiday, wonderful kid, tries to play defense. Just not enough player there for me. And he's 32. Uh, you just need to move on. And that's the same way I feel about Harkless. I mean, come on, move on. Uh, I'd rather play Metu there, uh, uh, you know, sure. just with the last 21 games. And, you know, uh, maybe maybe find out, okay, he's not the answer, but he can still, you know, he, we, need to, we need to keep him around, you know, type thing. Uh, so so that that's my thoughts there. But I do think that uh, – you know, and I, I don't, I'm not saying that, that Lamb would be the answer. I'm just saying you kind of know who isn't the answer. Mm-hmm. So it'd be worth finding out uh, that maybe he could be at least a backup kind of thing. And and then, uh, of course, the, the Dante DiVincenzo thing, I, uh, I've got really mixed emotions here early. I, I just hope we see a lot more basketball player as we go. And in and, and fairness, uh, we, we should uh, not be make any decisions right now and I mean I and I mean that it's like it's hard if you make your decisions based on what you've seen you you're not seeing a very good player uh, but but I also know he's better than that and and so I, I'd say you know he's one of those guys you try to work him in try to hang with him uh, say hey we got 21 left we'll we'll see where we are at the end of 21 and not not worry a thing about it I was going to ask about uh, uh, Dante, but I also am curious where you guys feel like Davion Mitchell's fit is going forward with this team. Well, before last, the last game, I thought it was a, he was so bad the last game. <laughs> I was about ready to uh, ship him out, you know, but I mean, it's the first time he has just been useless, to be honest. You know, I mean, he, he was, uh, I mean, I think there's never been a game where Davion hadn't found a way to be kind of valuable. Uh, yeah. I, I would like, I guess, you know, I would like to see him be a third guard, you know, a guy that could, if you had that guard with Fox, the, you know, with size and could shoot and had some handle, uh, you know, he'd be a nice third guard because he could play because he can play with the ball and without the ball. Uh, and he's going to guard the hell out of it. Try to. And, uh, you know, like I say, I think he's been, you know, he's been good for Fox because I think at times he embarrasses Fox, you know, by how hard he's trying and, and competes, you know, and I think that's good. So, so I think there's nothing, but there's upside with, with Davion. I don't think you have to make any major decisions. Could he be a starter someday? Sure. Uh, Will he, could he be in the NBA all-star? Not likely. Uh, But I think he could be a, a valuable player on a winner. I believe that. I think he's got a lot of winner in him. And that's what you're looking for at this stage, because, you know, there's some guys you you kind of can start to, to sense they're not <laughs> really. And you want to disassociate yourself with them as soon as you can. <laughs> oh, with with the Kings currently sitting uh, at the sixth spot in the uh, NBA draft lottery. I'm curious, Jerry, what you what you think about now that now that we know Monty McNair, it's a, it's a win now team. They are they're gunning for the playoffs next season His you know, his job is certainly on some sort of line or at least his seat's getting a little bit warmer in terms of making the playoffs. Do, do you feel like there's, there's much consideration in terms of moving this pick 
rather than picking somebody who's talented, who might eventually be a better player, but that the Kings just don't have the time to develop them? Or is this something that the Kings should still should still pick the best player available there and hope that that person uh, turns out quicker than they, than they, than they assume. Well, I think you want to take the best player available, but it, it also might be the a player you could trade for, you know, I mean, if you could trade, you know, if you could trade the pick for a 24 or five, 24 year old guy, well, let's just say, for instance, say you got the sixth, seventh pick, whatever. And uh, you could trade that for Kobe white with the bulls. Would you consider that? I think you should. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, That's I true. mean, you know, a six-four guard that can light it up and been a basically about a forty percent shooter, three, uh, getting better every year. Uh, who, yeah. you know, what what guard you're going to get better than that in the draft at seven for for the next few years now so would you do it i don't know would they do it i don't know i don't know but that's those are the kind of questions you need to ask yourself and need to be asked tony what do you think about that yeah i think and we sort of touched on it we were going over um why richard was so down on this trade because i think this is where things can sort of start to roll off the cliff in a very dangerous way and that's you know you start getting yourself into this mode where you've you've got sabonis the Sabonis window is two years. So you've got to make the playoffs in two years or he's an unrestricted free agent. And then who knows you're, you're kind of lose all control of the situation at that point you trade picks from now. And let's say that player you trade the pick for doesn't work out. So then you don't have your pick and you lost Sabonis and you don't have Halliburton. That's the all negative outcome that some Kings fans have. What I think is kind of like a right uh, to feel that that could happen. I mean, we've seen 16 years of losing because these compound issues have happened already we've seen it so anyone who thinks that 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 could be the outcome here i i have no problem with someone having that stance because i fear the same thing that's why you know you could trade the pick great but you now you have got to win and the kings have been so bad at doing that for 16 years that the idea that they would actually kind of break through and actually finally start winning it sounds awesome but um that doing something like trading a pick away uh, while it, it could work out, it also could continue to dig themselves into a, a grave that would be very, very hard to get out of um, once you start going down the line of all the different things that could go wrong from there. Well, I mean, but you can play that game the, the other way. Sure. You know, take the pick and get Ben McLemore, or Nick Stauskas, yep. and, and Thomas Robinson. <laughs> uh, how's that working? Or would uh, Kobe White be a, a way better? <laughs> for yeah, no, for sure. It, I mean, that, I mean, that's to me. It's like, well, no, you're. That's why the guys running this franchise need to. They're supposed to know mm-hmm. that this one player is better than the the guy we can get in the draft. And if he's, you know, if he's not thirty three years old, why do you care? I mean, if he's, people would say, well, geez, he's twenty three. He's ready to die. Well, no, he should have <laughs> his probably his ten best years ahead. And uh, so why worry about that? Uh, So, so yeah, I I probably look at that a little different. I mean, sure. I I think if you think that pick you get, you feel confident he's better than somebody you could trade for. Well, my God, keep it. Uh, That's what you want to do. But uh, I think it's uh, harder and harder to know that. Yeah. Uh, It's harder and harder to know that. I mean, you know, who in Orlando really thought that that Cole Anthony right now would be better than Jalen Suggs? But he is. Now, how long will he be better? I don't know. 
<laughs> but he is. Yeah. yeah. And the Kings just traded a, a guy they got, you know, Tyrese Halliburton, when people were worried that they fell too far out of the lottery, they were able to get some bonus for him. So the, the draft is definitely not a sure thing. You can get very good players later in the lottery. Um, and you can certainly draft busts second overall. <laughs> Both things happen. Yeah. Well, we, yeah, I think we've seen that. And, and like I say, I mean, just, I always go back to, it's like, wait a minute, the last couple of most valuable players, one was taken 16th and one was taken in the second round. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but we all know, and we all agree that, yeah, you'd rather have yeah. the best pick possible. I mean, it's like the Kings when they took Fox. Well, that was a good pick. Fifth. They originally had third and people forget that. Well, they, would you rather have Jason Tatum? Well, no disrespect to Fox, yep. but yes, I'd rather have the third pick and Jason mm-hmm. Tatum. Of course, of course, of course, Philly had the first pick yes. and they took Mark yeah. Dolphin. So I bet they'd rather have Jason Gary, Tatum. Gary, you answered that or exactly Fox. how I was going to say that. <laughs> or <one>. Fox. <laughs> so, so the other part of this in terms of building the Kings towards a playoff team in the next couple of years is, is coaching. Uh, I guess we'll start this way only because I think it's, it's fair to ask this. Uh, Jerry, do you feel like Alvin Gentry has, has earned a chance at becoming the coach of the Kings next season? Not yet. Not yet. He's got 20 games to do it. I think 21 games and, and you want to see, I think what he's done since the trade, I think, uh, I've been very creative. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like what he's done. That's just my opinion. Uh, the team's more fun to watch a lot, of course, the bonus, but he's utilizing him and utilizing his players a little bit differently. And he's tried to work all kinds of lineups in there. That part I don't always understand, but, but, uh, but, but I, I think, you know, with Alvin, you know, I, I don't think you want to, certainly you don't make any decision based on, on the record today because it, it's what it is. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I guess if I were the owner of the franchise, I would have to feel like that this team played a lot better than it currently is consistently. Uh, by the time the season comes, or I would want to make a probably a change. Absolutely. Tony, I'll give you a chance to answer that as well. Yeah. You just got to get buy-in defensively. And until the team does that, and it's, you know, it probably gets harder and maybe Jerry can speak to this to get players to play defense when the games matter less and the season starts to wind down. So Gentry has a probably a tough job as the Kings continue to fall down the standing. It's, it's I would imagine a lot easier to, to let up defensively, but that's Gentry's job here that's kind of what it comes down to for me he's got to get this team in some in some way to buy in defensively and start putting a consistent effort there every night and if he's not the coach to do that they've got to find the right coach that can do it yeah and you know he does have some guys i think should be hungry not necessarily you know you got a lot of guys that are fighting for their careers really i mean not necessarily you know harrison or or fox or sabonis but a lot of guys are fighting for time on the court or just playing careers and, and usually that can translate uh, to better defensive effort uh, you know I'll, I'll say one thing here and I and I know that uh, you know Kings Herald fans will decide I finally have went senile uh, and then there is some speculation to that but I'd like to see Josh Jackson get a play and I'll tell you why I don't know that he's any good he should never have been picked fourth but he was uh, mm-hmm. but I've seen him play pretty good you know, when he was at Phoenix, I saw him beat the Kings <laughs> one game. And when he actually, but th- that's not the point. The po- My point is just this. The one thing he is, is a big time friggin' athlete. As athletic or more athletic than anybody we got except Fox probably. And uh, this on a team that has almost none of those guys. 
And so, you know, it's like, well, he's bounced around for a reason, but it's like, well, 21 games, let's just find out why he was the fourth pick in the draft. And if he hadn't have been the fourth, he'd have been the fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth, uh, because he was a, a, a special athlete. And, and it, it might be, you know, it's no, it's a little lesser version of what uh, um, Wiggins has become a player finally. You know, sometimes uh, it finally, uh, it takes a while to catch the right niche, so to speak. But anyway, that, that's just me. It's like, well, you got him. And certainly this is the last roundup for him. And, and, and you're probably going to find out that, okay, it's not going to work. But, but if it could, you'd have a six foot, six, six foot, seven big time athlete of which you currently do not have. Jerry, I don't think they're dragging you away to the loony bin for that one. And if they do, I'll petition. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Although I don't know, maybe I wouldn't mind going. Maybe it might be okay. <laughs> probably still catch the Kings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. As long as they put the Kings game. Well, a lot, a lot of my, yeah, probably a lot of Kings fans are with me. <laughs> Uh, so reading the tea leaves just just in the the uh just on the off chance i guess we won't say off chance but just on the chance that the kings decide to go a different direction uh than sticking with alvin gentry in this offseason what kind of coach do you think that the kings are looking towards especially with uh the sabonis fox fit uh, i know jerry you you're uh much uh much higher on having a coach that's been there and done it before but i'm curious if you have any candidates uh, that you that you think would fit the bill for 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 a king squad that is now populated with a guy like Fox and Sabonis. Well, that's a, that's a great question because I mean you you know you'd want somebody that is a creative offensive coach I think to utilize those guys. Uh, uh, it's hard to know uh, you know with assistants who have never been head coaches. You just yeah. you can't know what you don't know. It doesn't mean that some of them won't be terrific, as we know. I mean. Uh, you, Pat Riley was once an assistant, uh, you know, of course he, his first job with Worthy and Magic and Cream, I probably gave him a little head up, right, head start right off. But, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, you know, so it, that's uh, hiring the right coach is the hardest thing. And, and uh, the only thing I'd, I'd say just offhand is if you go away from, you know, the Luke Walton, Alvin Gentry tree at this time, I think you, you almost invariably you want to go opposite, you know, in other words, they, they're kind of certainly good guys and players, coaches, maybe to a fault if there is that you think. So you'd want probably somebody, whether uh, an assistant that you think is ready to step up and, or a proven head coach that uh, got a little edge to them. Uh, I, I think if you, because I think it's just hard to, for me to say, well, boy, now the defense will be better next year. Uh, I mean, and, and I think that's where a lot of fans are. You know, they, to me, it's like you'd want to at least feel like, well, if there's going to be a change, it's going to be one that should show up on defense for sure. And, sure. Uh, you know, who, who would that be? I, I don't know. I, I will say one thing I've been thinking about is it's always interesting, you know, just reading uh, uh, Harold comments and I, I love to do that and fans really have some good thoughts on that obviously and uh, and I'll come off here as a sexist or chauvinist I guess or something but you know fans want to say Becky Hammond and I'm not saying she wouldn't be a good choice I don't know sure. but but it's like now on that basis why would you not even mention the name Elston Howe or Elston Turner, Turner. Mm -hmm. who uh, certainly 
has been, was the top assistant for under Rick Adelman on a whole bunch of 50 win teams, not just here, but in Houston and Portland, you know, and it's like, okay, now, okay. If you don't want to hire him, I understand that. But, but it's like, why do some people get a pass, you know, with less experience and background and others don't. I mean, I've always, it's always struck me. And I, I was reading a comment from one fan I thought was kind of interesting on this same token. He was saying, well, you know, that uh, Becky's probably a real good coach or something like that, which I think she probably is. Uh, but she's going to replace a guy in the WNBA named Bill Lambeer. And I thought, yeah, I know Bill. I got to know him very well. Really like him, not as a player, but I liked him as a person. <laughs> yeah. And I said, yeah, and, and, and they pointed out, I said, yeah, Bill Lambert won three championships in the WNBA. He played on two champions in the NBA. He was an assistant coach on two different teams. Now, why wouldn't a guy like that be a strong candidate? Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, seriously. I mean, yeah. it's like, uh, you know, because he was an asshole when he played. Is that the reason? Well, yeah, he was. <laughs> he was. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, and Bill, I know he, he admits it. He said, yeah, that's a dirty son of a bitch. You know, I had to be. And, uh, he, you know, he was, and he was really good at it. <laughs> uh, now, now just saying, I'm not saying he's the, would be the ideal coach for the Kings, but now, but just think it out. It's like, well, somebody, yeah. a six eleven, two hundred seventy five 75 pound guy that, uh, would, would truly knock your dick in the dirt and then uh, step on it after it's there, uh, you know, you know, might, you know, might be an interesting, uh, might be an interesting interview, put it that way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think that's one thing that I, I like more about the league now than at any other time. Not that there hasn't always been good coaching candidates, but there, because of the research that regular people are able to do and, and, and the wealth of interviews you get to hear from assistants on YouTube and everything else like that, there are, I feel like, more good candidates for coaching jobs than any other time that, that I can see. You know, it's not just, you know, oh, hoping Phil Jackson shows up or hoping that uh, a Van Gundy goes to a closed Kinko's that like that the Kings have a chance at, at finding a, a good candidate, whether it be a, a newcomer or somebody who's done it for a long time. Yeah, well, I, I'd, I'd really, too, I, I wish they would, if they do this, you know, think out of outside yes. the box a yes. little bit. You know, and I, I have no no issues with hiring a female coach. In fact, if I were going to do that, the first female I'd hire or look at or interview would be Kim Mulkey. Mm, sure. uh, she's currently at LSU. I followed her career. I mean, I guarantee you she coached men. Now, I don't know if she'd be the best choice, but that's she's a real coach, <laughs> that one. <laughs> and, and I mean, talk about fiery. She'd uh, like some, you know, she might be jumping on some six foot 10 guys <laughs> and, and, uh, but I mean, just, I, I just like that idea. Uh, you know, and I've talked to Tony and you guys, I got Calvin Sampson, the university of Houston. I, I just think he's a marvelous coach and a tremendous edge to him right on the, you know, but uh, you know, was a terrific assistant in the league with Kevin McHale. I knew him and I've known him for, I mean, these are people that probably aren't going to be considered for anything, but I think these are the kind of things you want. Why wouldn't you think out that these are out of the box things? Uh, and if you're going to try to improve your team, especially one where it's at, and you make a coaching change, you better think differently yeah. rather than just say, well, this guy, this person, they, they've been hanging around this team for a while and they didn't, you know, you know, 
pissed to bed while they were there. So they, they'll be a good choice. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it really should, I think it should basically have some experience and called winning W I N N I N G winning. Tony, what about you? What, what are your thoughts on this? I don't know if this is going to be winning enough for Jerry, but for me, and people are going to get sick of and tired of me saying this on the podcast, I'm sure for the next few months, but uh, I want to the Kings to hire, I guess the, the safest option possible. And I say that because I just think there's so much at stake. Monty McNair's job, the Sabonis contract, like they can't get this wrong. And the, the least amount of variables I can deal with the better. That's at least my feeling on it now. And I view a guy like, and I said this name and I'm going to be saying it again for months, Kenny Atkinson. Uh, he wasn't an incredible winner in Brooklyn, but to me, he was a coach who always got more out of his roster than, than what you would have seen on paper, which is something the Kings desperately need. Someone who can do a lot with a little optimized players, uh, take imperfect situations and not use them as excuses and still just go out and try and win basketball games and have your guys play hard. That's what I saw out of Kenny Atkinson. Um, he spent his two years post Brooklyn as an assistant with the Clippers. And now he's with the Warriors. I know Vivek would love that. Grab another assistant from the, from the Warriors, which should scare some people, I guess, in some ways. But Kenny Atkinson <laughs> to me is like that perfect mix of he's kind of done it before. He's sort of a safe hire. He's still, though, kind of young, so you can, you, you know, he's not a Terry Stotts where I don't know how much longer Terry Stotts has. Like, how does he want to come to Sacramento and coach at 63? I don't know. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But Kenny Atkinson is just that perfect mix of still, he's still pretty young, a lot of experience. He's been around. He, he's coached some interesting teams, and, he, and he's available. So that's kind of my, my safe Tony pick is, is Kenny Atkinson. Hey, you know what? I, I, I agree with you there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's terrific. I do. I mean, I think of all the probably assistants, it'd be hard to get a better one, more qualified, more prepared, and, and uh, we'll get whatever out of the roster. And I, I, I think the world of Terry Stotts, and he's a hell of a coach, but I, I don't know that he'd be the right coach for yeah. this franchise for the reason I think he needs a veteran mm -hmm. team. If I had a, a, a more veteran team, and all because uh, I, I think he'd get the most out of that, you know, type type of, of team, quite honestly, where I think Atkinson uh, definitely, uh, uh, yeah, he's good. He's good. Yeah, no, no doubt. Only because you guys have given established coaches. I, I will, I will mention one that he, that they, that hasn't necessarily gotten a role yet in the NBA that I think is about time. Who's kind of flown under the radar. And I think I've mentioned it before. His name's Brian Keith. Uh, he worked under Greg Popovich. Uh, he was the defensive coordinator when OKC had their big three of uh, Harden, Westbrook, and Durant. Um, he was the development guy. He was in charge of developing those three guys. Um, they brought him over to the Lakers, and he was uh, the guy who developed the Lakers core back when they had Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart and all those guys. Uh, he's currently an assistant in Brooklyn. Um, um, Kevin Durant cites him as the guy who Kevin Durant has in everywhere. He says, like, oh, he's the guy who taught me everything in the NBA. So he's kind of the KD whisperer, I guess, is, is the way mm -hmm. I would hype him up. Uh, he was runner-up for the uh, Oklahoma City job. Uh, so he's, he's been around. He, he's known as a defensive guy that Jerry mentioned outside the box. And this guy seems to be hyped up as an outside-the-box thinker. And he's, he's one of those choices that I, I, I love the idea of Kenny Atkinson, and he's probably my first choice. Uh, I, I like the idea of D'Antoni if, if D'Antoni was 20 years younger. And so I've kind of looked for people that I think would be the next Kenny Atkinson or the next guy up for a Dan Tony who maybe not as a defensive, you know, Frankenstein, but 
you know, but somebody that, that would fill that role that could be a Chris Finch type where Minnesota looks like they've got a guy who could coach the next 10, 15 years mm-hmm. and, and keep them successful all that time. And I know Monty McNair was kind of the runner up in that race because many signed him in the middle of the season. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that McNair has a, as a, as an arsenal that's, that's longer than one bullet in the chamber that he's got other guys <laughs> that he's looking for. And, and, uh, uh, Brian Keith is one of those guys that I kind of go, this could be a guy. It sounds very Monty McNair esque to me. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I think that's what you got to do though. I mean, I think if they're going to make change, they, take your time and, you know, uh, you know, they, take your time. I mean, yeah, you'd love to get Jay right from Villanova, but he's not going to do it. So you, you know, you've got to focus on guys you can actually get and he might not even be the right guy anyway. But, yeah. uh, you know, I always like to say, you know, uh, to me, two of the very best coaches in this league uh, really were totally out, out of the box guys. The guy at, my, at Memphis and, of course, Nick Nurse yeah. at Toronto. Yeah. I mean, who, who saw that coming? And, and really, at, uh, those just remarkable yeah. hires, that they, you know, uh, those teams kind of took a chance. I mean, especially Toronto. I mean, they got rid of Dwayne Casey, who had been coach of the year. year. Yeah, and and uh, you know, so you know, at some point, you you kind of have to know kind of what you're doing there a little bit. And then I think the more you talk to people, the more people you interview, and uh, you know, everybody. That's one thing about coaches; everybody's got an opinion who could do it. But uh, but I think with this team, I I think you know some of these people uh, you, you're looking for people. I think with a little edge to them, whether it's a Kim Mulkey or. A, or Kelvin Sampson or, or Nat Kenny Atkinson or Keith, you know, yeah. I mean, I think some, somebody that is going to come in hungry and uh, not just take the challenge, but uh, go at some guys, <laughs> go, at, you know, you can be a player's coach, uh, but uh, being a player's coach also means you can piss them off. Yes. You know, you're allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have to mention Juwan Howard yeah. here. If you, you want a physical coach to go, <laughs> might be the bridge too far on that. Okay, make a bridge too far right there for, for okay. now. Uh, okay, so we're gonna roll to our uh, our uh, segment where I give uh, Tony and Jerry a chance to talk about any other game, any other team, any other storyline from anything in the sports world that they've encountered in the last two weeks. We've, I mean, we obviously just got off a week break where we've seen some all-star activities. Um, the only rule is, please, Lord, don't talk about the Kings. So, uh, uh, Tony, I'll, I'll give you the honors. You go first. Great. I got a good one this week, Will. Two years in the making. He's back. Tyreek Evans reinstated into the NBA. Hasn't signed with anybody yet. He's reportedly going to meet or has met with Milwaukee. I think that'd be a great fit for the Bucks, even if it's not. Um, the things that Tyreek Evans had to do to get reinstated is it's a pretty lengthy list of past drug tests and two years of submitting things and all sorts of criteria that the NBA requires for reinstatement. So the fact that he got himself back to that point to get reinstated, I think is awesome. So congrats to Tyreek. Uh, and I, I sure hope some team gives him an opportunity, whether that's with the bucks, whether that's this year. Maybe it doesn't happen until the summer, but he's been working out hard. He looks like he's in great shape. And he actually went through the process of getting reinstated. We've seen players get dismissed from the league and that's the last you heard from them. They didn't even try to come back. No fault to them. That's just, you know, their careers were over. Uh, Tyreek Evans is still giving this a shot. Um, So yeah, I was really happy to see that news come out since we last recorded his official reinstatement. So 
congrats to Tyreek and let's let's play some basketball here soon. Absolutely. Jerry, what about you? Well, I certainly am happy about Tyreek too. I hope he gets a chance. He deserves deserves another chance. And certainly uh, Milwaukee would be a great fit for him. Uh, he could but anyway, what I'm thinking about a little bit is we're coming off the all-star weekend. And I want to tell you, I hate it. I detest, <laughs> I absolutely detest all of it, except I like the three-point shot because it's a skill. Yeah. And even that I, I don't like, I get mad about because I think, and I know they do it for money, but just go back to a bunch of racks of balls and count each one that goes in one. And whoever makes the most shots wins. Uh, that, that would be, you know, simple sometimes is plenty. That, and of course, and I know uh, this is old school, but I'm telling you, I am old enough to where I used to look forward to the all-star game more than anything in the world for a couple of reasons. All the stars played in it, but they competed like bitches. You know, I always remember talking to Oscar Robertson once about it. And he said, yeah, we, man, we, we, we brought it because the winners got $2,000 and the losers got a thousand. And that meant something the money, not just the winning, we needed the money. Sure. And, and, uh, and I don't care what, you know, and they've tried different things and, and they, 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 you know, I know they compete a little bit at the end of games and stuff, but, uh, to me, uh, I'll go with Michael Wilbon on pardon interruption said some time ago, if get back to having a real competitive game, and if you don't, uh, you know, you might as well have to be the, it's like the pro bowl, which is a, t a total joke and the NBA is moving that direction have an all-star team of international players that play in the NBA and an all-star team of, of everybody else. And, and that would be a hell of a game. And you know, they'd compete when you've got yeah. the Jokic's and the Embiid's and the Doncic and I mean, and, and Adeta Kumpo. I mean, really most of the, right now the, the international players would beat Americans. I have very little doubt about that, but it certainly be at least be a game. Yeah, not Love not yeah. not a bunch of couple of guys picking up, you know, picking teams like it's on the schoolyard. And then don't be surprised sure. when it looks like a schoolyard game. So anyway, so sure. that's about that. So the all star <laughs> game, I, I swear to God, I wouldn't watch it if they played it out on my cul-de-sac in front of my house. <laughs> <laughs> not even going to peek through the window. No, <laughs> I close the blinds. So Jerry, I assume you're not a big uh, Moneyball Rack fan then. No, no, I'm not. And I mean, it's fair for everybody. I get that. And the do ball, uh, you know, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a shooting skill. And, and, and I love that for that because it's a skill. It's a verifiable skill, but okay. What's wrong with having 25 balls and whoever makes the most of them, that's, that's who should win. And, and, and generally speaking, it does, but uh, yeah. you know, why, you know, so anyway, I just simplify, you know, no, I, I think you're right, Jerry. I think instead of having a, just have an extra rack and add a little extra time if you want something exciting, yeah. then have a rack have a rack over there on the logo. Have a rack at center court if you want. I know Steph Curry can hit it. Yeah. So have some guys that can really throw some range and, and do it that way. But mm -hmm. I don't I don't need 10 different types of balls and each one is equal to a certain amount of points. Like, no, just, just shoot the ball. Just, mm -hmm. just let me see the ball go through the hoop. And I won't even talk about the dunk contest because – <laughs> I get depressed here and I'll, I'll probably not be able to enjoy the game later. There is a, 
long list of things I would rather do than watch a dunk contest. Like it's a very long list. That's so bad. I don't I don't even know how you fix it, but I thought the last one was worse than ever. Oh. I mean, and they've been getting bad for a while, but that one was awful. It was awful. Unwatchable. I'll 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 finish off with something positive then. And and my my thing of the last two weeks is uh I watched Lakers uh lose the other night. They've lost 5 of 6. Uh, they just got blown out by the Pels. They got absolutely just manhandled by the Pelicans, a team that is below them in the standings. Uh, CJ McCollum, who's played really, really great for the Pelicans so far, I'm happy to see him in a spot where he gets to shine a little bit more. But I'm, I'm as happy as I am to see CJ playing well, I am more happy to see the Lakers playing like absolute dog shit. And, and there was a moment where I think it was DeAndre Jordan took a ball up the court like he was the modest Sabonis and then threw it, you know, six rows deep into the stands instead of passing it to somebody in the corner. And, and the, the amount of endorphins that hit my brain and the rest of my body <laughs> will last me the rest of the King season. I mean, the Kings will be garbage, but the Lakers will be a whole different style of embarrassing. And I couldn't think of a better way to end my day than watch the Lakers lose like that. That was joy. Wasn't it? That was true <laughs> joy. <laughs> I've got friends and family that are Lakers fans, and I'm sorry that you had to hear that, but I can think of nothing better than watching a oh, game like that. Oh, was, yeah, and, and hearing the Lakers fans boo. Wasn't that, wasn't that, oh, oh, that, that, uh, that's more fun than hearing Adele sing or something. Man, that was fabulous. <laughs> okay, so let's roll over uh, to Tony's uh, Patreon question of the day. All right. Thanks, Will. Um, every episode of this podcast, we ask one question to Jerry from our King's Herald patrons. That's patreon.com slash King's Herald. You can submit questions to Will or I on Twitter through the Patreon at the King's Herald comment section. We're usually pretty good about finding the questions wherever you ask them. And if you don't hear your question on the main show here, don't worry. We do record one Patreon exclusive Q&A every month where we ask Jerry all the leftover questions. So Whatever you guys submit, we will ask Jerry at one place or another. But let's get to it this week. It's a bit of a throwback question for you, Jerry. The question comes from The Rock for three. And he says, Jerry, Jeff Petrie was such a great draft evaluator in his early time as general manager. But towards the end of his time with the Kings, he had a lot of lottery misses. How much, if anything, did ownership have a role in those selections or did Jeff just start missing? You know, I, I would tell you, the ownership had nothing, no involvement whatsoever. I know that's, uh, you know, and Jeff would say the same thing. Uh, you know, he he made the decisions. Uh, he took input from a lot of people. A lot of people gave him uh, good advice or bad advice. You can always say, say how it is in, in, a, in a group. But he made the decision and, uh, you know, overall a terrific uh, leader of a franchise and brilliant man, but yes, he made mistakes. Uh, uh, there's no doubt about it. You know, I think probably looking back, you know, maybe a little second guessing himself in a sense that, you know, the Thomas Robinson thing, you know, he's all set. I know to take Damian Lillard and change his mind at the last minute. And I'm not sure why. Uh, uh, so, you know, so there's that, but, but, uh, but, you know, and it's a, it's a good question. I'm glad you asked it because I, I get that all the time. Well, the Maloofs made him take this guy. Maloofs didn't make him do anything. No, the, that's one thing about them. Uh, for all the, the, the discredit they deserve, and they do deserve a lot for how they treated the franchise at the end, but, uh, you know, threatening to move it and all that. But, but it's also true all the best, really all the best years of King's history 
the Maloofs were the owners. I always say when they, when they had money, the team was terrific. And they, they tried to do, you know, I mean, they, 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 they had sometimes a little more to say than they should have, but, uh, but uh, as far as drafting, nope, they, they always trusted Jeff and as, as they should have. And sadly, he'd be first to tell you, I, you know, I messed up, you know, messed up a few of them. No question about it. Jerry, let's, let's roll over to you now for the wrap up. Well, uh, only thing I, I, I think I'm thinking about is, is 21 games to go and, and really it, and I'm looking forward to it because I, I have started enjoying watching this team and I'm not, I don't mean a great expectations, but it's 21 games that I, I want to see if they can get better defensively. And if Alvin can kind of pick out eight or nine guys who should be around here next year. And I mean, I, I don't think it's more than that. I don't care how many is on the roster. Sure. I mean, I mean, it's very important uh, to, to get some idea of, of, is there eight or nine guys you want to bring back? Cause you know, you're going to need uh, two or three others from other sources. So uh, I think that's very, very important. Uh, just exactly who could uh, be on the roster and, and he feels and maybe fans feel could be productive people. And right now I think that that's wide open, you know, I mean, you, you know, with, with Barnes and, and Sabonis and Fox and, and, you know, Davion, uh, you know, once you get past that, uh, I don't know that there's a lot of sure things there. And, and so that's to be determined, but it also means why it'll be, I think for me, uh, very interesting, very interesting. The Kings will be bad, but they won't be boring. I think that's how we'll, and they might even have a chance of being okay. You know, <laughs> but they better not, <laughs> they better not be boring. That's all I, I'm going to say to it. No, just, just don't be boring. And uh, if you play like you did, you know, mm -hmm. those Denver games, obviously they could have, yeah. could have won both of them. Uh, you know, certainly got some questionable calls. Uh, I don't want to get into playing Homer here, but, but overall, I mean, they had a chance to win against uh, a very good team. Absolutely. All righty. Well, that's our episode for the week. And uh, we appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us as we uh, throw bonus episodes in and mix up the schedule a little bit on you. We're back to every two weeks now. So um, until next time, I want to say uh, thank you on behalf of uh, Jerry, Tony, and the rest of the crew at the Kings Herald. Uh, if you find it in your heart to like, rate, and subscribe us wherever you find your podcast, we'd greatly appreciate it. If not, then uh, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you, but we'll uh, we'll catch you at some point. So uh, until next time, uh, thanks so much, and uh, we'll see you in, uh, in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>